You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. You notice that uh, our brother Fred is not here. It's, um, you know, it's one of those kind of uh, moments when, you know, you're here in the morning and you get that text that says, hey, bro, I don't feel good. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> he, did, he did send me his sermon notes, so you get me reading his sermon notes. So, so, so we can do this, right? We can do this. It'll, it'll be okay. You know, the, the Lord will still be praised, and, um, and, we, can, and we can do it. So, so God bless you for your faith in me. <laughs> All right, so, if you will. Gershom's story. Gershom grew up, like any other Jew living in Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish faith. He grew up as a worshiper of Yahweh, the God of his ancestors. Gershom grew up to become, by social standards, a good man. A husband and father of two sons, one daughter. He is a part of the Jerusalem middle class and a craftsman by trade specializing in the production of cloth dye. His entire family converted to Christianity after discovering that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the promised Messiah. However, his confession that Jesus is Lord had cost him and his family a great deal. His mother, a recent convert to Christianity, had been beaten because of her confession in the Lord Jesus. Christians are consistently persecuted because of their faith and largely by their own Jewish countrymen. But Gershom knows that no matter the price, it's worth paying. God's grace and love revealed to him through Jesus Christ, King of Kings, demands his full attention. Because of the gospel, Gershom has learned that love doesn't do what's easy, it does what's right, no matter the cost. There's a great famine in Jerusalem. The weather has been off and the land has not been fruitful. Farming is in a terrible slump. As a growing city, Jerusalem is overpopulated, and it's straining the economy, including the food resources. Gershom's comfort is that the church has embraced a common life and are committed to being in this together. Since taking care of one another generously, sacrificially, is one of the greatest signs of Christian love, Even if there doesn't seem like there's enough to go around, the church trusts that God will generously provide all they need to be faithful. Not only are they taking care of one another the best they can, they are also generously trying to help other Jews who are hungry, including those that persecute them. Gershom is a hard worker, but due to the famine, business is slower than normal, money is tight. Paying Roman taxes in addition to local taxes doesn't make it any easier. There is no tax relief on the horizon. One of Gershom's fears is his 
inability to provide for his family. His greatest fear is that he can't make enough money to pay his taxes. The Roman officials would take his children for payment, just like they did to his friend Eleazar. He can't stand the thought of his children becoming slaves. He would almost rather the whole family be killed or even die from hunger than for his children to become property of the state. Agathias' story. Just over 1,500 miles away in Macedonia is a man named Agathias. He is a mason. He's the husband and father of two. He was born in Thessaloniki. His work requires him to travel much of the Macedonian region. Already poor, work has been slow. The only real upside is that he's been allowed to spend more money, spend more time with his family. Before Agathias became a Christ follower, he was a worshiper of the 12 Olympian gods. He first heard about Jesus from Timothy, who of course was preaching in the city. The idea of one God who was three in one was difficult for him to understand. Even though Macedonia is made up of mostly Greeks and Romans, he had met a few Jews and was familiar with their God. What was hard for him to comprehend at first is how the same God would reveal himself to the world by becoming a human, born in a small town to a poor young couple, and take on the common Jewish name of Jesus. Eventually, he was overwhelmed by the love and grace of this God of the Jews revealed in Jesus. Hopelessness was the primary currency available in the Macedonian region. Macedonia's economy was in recession, and even though Agathias is poor, he knows that with Jesus as his Lord, he is rich. This is what he's learned as a part of the church and is the passion of the Thessalonian Christians. They're all poor. It's a poor church. But they're filled with love and joy, and they take Jesus seriously together, and that makes them rich. The Apostle Paul was in town and had been for some time preaching along that region. Rumor had it that Jerusalem was suffering from a famine too and were suffering from persecution. Agathias had never been to Jerusalem. It was weeks and weeks worth of travel. But when he considered that the suffering Jews were his brothers and sisters and part of God's household, as Paul calls it, he could not help but hurt for them. He knows what it is like to wonder how your family will eat or how you'll come up with enough money for taxes. Though he has so little, he has so much in Christ. Agathias hears from another brother that the Apostle Paul is telling all the regional churches about a financial collection that is being taken up for the Christians in Jerusalem. Agathias hadn't heard any such announcements at any of their church gatherings. So he approached one of the elders to see if his church was giving. Apparently Paul had neglected to ask any of the Macedonian churches to contribute because they were all in such extreme poverty. 
all of the Christians in those churches were suffering severely. Word had it that Paul didn't want to trouble them with more burdens. But after the leaders in Macedonian churches found this out, they begged Paul to let them contribute to the needs of the Jerusalem churches. Macedonia may have been made up of some of the poorest congregations in the kingdom of God, but what they lacked in financial resources, they made up in love, hospitality, and the joy in the Holy Spirit. The Corinthian church, on the other hand, was a different story. The Corinthian church was a difficult and messy church, living in a very difficult and messy city. Corinth was a society dominated by the ideas of moving upward in social class, in the ideas of accomplishment, in gathering wealth. The Corinthian people prided themselves in self-accomplishment as they lived for self-gratification. As a result, the church really struggled to be a different kind of society because their larger society was positioned strongly against kingdom ethics, against kingdom values, against kingdom virtues. They too knew of the Jerusalem famine and persecution and were asked by Paul if they would contribute. Though they had their share of poor people within the church, on the whole, they were a wealthy church and would have much to contribute. For whatever reason, most likely because of their sinfulness, in addition to their frustrations with Paul, they were neglecting to wholeheartedly contribute to the financial needs of the Christians in Jerusalem. Paul wanted to let them know in his second letter that he would be sending Titus to them shortly. It was possible that even some Macedonian Christians would come as well. Their purpose would be to collect the money so it could be delivered to the Christians in Jerusalem, Christians like Gershom and his family. But Paul, knowing the Corinthian situation, thought they needed a little reminder of God's grace and generosity in Jesus. So he starts off pointing to the witness of the churches in Macedonia. From the second letter to the Corinthians, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, oppression, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us incessantly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. So the Christians in Macedonia will never meet the Christians in Jerusalem, at least not this side of glory. Jerusalem was a half a world away. But being half a world away did not matter. These Macedonian Christians were reconciled to them in Christ. They may not share a national identity, but they share a baptismal identity, and that makes them family. Even though the math doesn't add up, the Macedonian churches work off of a different equation. 
They begged Paul to give. Extreme poverty plus hardship plus joy equals generosity. Let me say that one more time. Extreme poverty plus hardship plus joy equals rich generosity. When Jesus is Lord, poverty and hardships are not barriers to generosity. They had received grace to live, and there was plenty of grace to, be, to give because the work of God's grace and generosity is to make his people more gracious and more generous. Also from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace to you. Now as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this grace. I am not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now I am giving an opinion on this because it is profitable for you, who a year ago began not only to do something, but also to desire it. But now finish this task as well, that just as there was eagerness to desire it, so there may also be a completion from what you have. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there may be a relief for others and hardships for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may also become available for your need, that there may be equality. As it has been written, the person who gathered much did not have much, and the person who gathered little did not have too little. So there is a different kind of economic reality in this text. The rich ones, the Corinthian church, are the least generous. The poor ones, the Macedonians, are the most generous. In God's economy, everything changes. You can be a congregation with a lot of money and risk being poor. You can be a congregation with little money and have an opportunity to become rich. According to Paul, it seems that having little to no money and being generous are two different things. He also seems to believe that having money and having joy are two different things. When Jesus is Lord, poverty and scarcity or not having enough are not barriers to generosity. Mother Teresa, she served the poor and the sick in Calcutta. She gave her life away to the least of society, even the lepers. She offered love and hope, not through sermons, 
but through her sacrificial giving. And she didn't give out of what we might call abundance or what some might call her leftovers. She gave out of her poverty. And for that, her heart became rich. Each morning, Mother Teresa attended Mass. As was the custom, she removed her shoes before entering into the sanctuary. Shane, who was serving with Mother Teresa at the time, noticed that her feet were severely deformed. Every morning Mass, Shane admits that he'd stare at her feet, wondering how they got into such poor condition. Listen to him as he tells the story of why her feet became so deformed. One day, a sister said to us, have you noticed her feet? We nodded, curious. She said her feet were deformed because we get just enough donated shoes for everyone. And mother does not want anyone to get stuck with the worst pair. So she digs through and finds them. And years of doing that have deformed her feet. Years of loving her neighbor as herself deformed her feet. Today, what generosity does for me is forces me to ask questions of my heart. I have found that when I'm afraid of losing money or material things, or get anxious about it and I have to ask myself why, what it usually means is that the money or material things have just a little too much of my heart. Maybe this, too, is why Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It just causes anxiety. The Macedonian Christians teach me that if they in their poverty were eager to give, so should I be also. Perhaps there are some of us who struggle to believe this. We do not have the means that others have. But remember how the Macedonian Christians were able to give, even out of their extreme poverty and their hardship. It was because they had great joy in Christ and even in one another. We've said many times, joy is not so much about happiness as it is about satisfaction. And they were satisfied. If I'm always telling myself that I am the one always getting the short end of the deal, then there is no way to have joy. Therefore, I will not be generous. I can't be because I don't have enough to give. This is the mindset of scarcity. Doris Day said this, gratitude is riches, complaint is poverty. The Macedonian Christians refuse to let the finances be the source of their joy. I imagine that, but there's another mindset of scarcity that is a little more subtle, my 
Perhaps another reason is we are overly committed to the word, my. The danger of American society as we live in a culture of my, my rights, my money, my time, my house, my church, my, 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 my. The moment we step into generosity, the moment we step into freedom, you can refuse to let your finances be the source of your hope and joy. The Macedonians have their identity established in Christ. Look again at verse 7. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this grace. Just as you're growing in those ways, grow in generosity. Why? Because of verse 24. Therefore, before the churches, show them the evidence of your love and of our boasting about you. The idea of showing the evidence of their love by giving is consistent with Paul's own call to mission. So Paul tells them the story of the gospel in money metaphor as the anchor and motivation. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, although he was rich, for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. Generosity is what God does. Should it surprise us that it is what God will always call us to? Giving of our money giving of our time, our personal wants and desires, giving of our lives. Paul seems to believe that at least one piece of evidence of whether or not our hearts are truly overcome by God's grace is our willingness to freely give to others. Generosity is the invitation to participate in the story of God as we share in what God is doing in the world. We need to be a people who, as a demonstration of love, illustrate God's grace to a watching and hurting world. We can because God calls us to it. And God would never call us to something he is not able and willing to equip us for and carry out. 2 Corinthians 9 says, remember this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you. So that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. It is written, He has scattered... He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase your harvest of righteousness. As you are enriched in every way 
for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.